Well, today's scripture was especially chosen to have difficult names in it. Thank you, April. We're uh, grateful for your ministry there of trying to pronounce some of these names. Um, and uh, so we're going to pray, uh, and we'll have some time in, in the Word. And uh, uh, if you just bow your heads with me, Father God, we ask that you give us minds that are alert and sober, that we would set our hope on the grace brought to us when Christ is revealed at his coming. Take away desires that are not from you so that we might live holy lives. We ask this morning that you would help us to recognize your holiness, your power, your majesty, that you are power, wisdom, and strength, that by your word all things came to be, and by your word we continue to exist. And we thank you for the gift of life. Thank you for the sun, the trees, the flowers, the food we eat, the air we breathe. These are good gifts from you. Uh, we recognize that we are not suitable to be in your presence on our own merit, but we thank you for the gift of Jesus who makes us right before you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus that we follow. God, this morning we thank you um, for your spirit. We ask that you would pray your spirit out upon us in great measure, teaching, leading, encouraging, where necessary, convicting our hearts, that you'd bless this congregation as we seek you. Bless the men, women, and children that are part of this congregation, as well as your church throughout the world. And we pray for your blessing upon the communities of Spring Grove and Richmond, Lake and McHenry counties, for government, business, educational, and spiritual leaders, that all would know you, and that many would be sent out to do the work you've called them to. God, now as we open your word, we ask that you would also open our hearts and minds to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. Um, we are not going to be just uh, working through genealogy all morning long, so don't worry. Um, we are uh, continuing our series on Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Arthur Koch from Unlocking the Bible gave us a, a great message this last Sunday about the rebuilding of the temple. Uh, I encourage you to listen to it if you haven't already. It's online. Um, in order to get the most of our time this morning, it's helpful to remember the setting uh, of the passage that's being read. Uh, the setting of Ezra and Nehemiah is one of failure. Uh, it is physical, um, military, political failure. But all of those failures rest on spiritual failure. Uh, the people had fallen into idolatry and justice and evil. And as a result, God allowed their enemies to conquer them. So first Assyria conquered Israel, and then later the Babylonians conquered Judah. Uh, leading citizens were killed or deported. Uh, so Ezra, Nehemiah starts there. It starts on this place of failure. Uh, the people are being restored to the land. The temple is being restored. The wall will be restored. Uh, the practices of following God's word uh, are restored. And so that makes Ezra, Nehemiah a story of redemption and restoration. That's what it's about. Um, last week, we heard about the people being uh, returning under Zerubbabel. There's another fun name, Zerubbabel, um, to rebuild the temple. Uh, and this next section, is, uh, the section we're talking about today, is sometimes called Ezra's Memoir. Uh, so it ends, uh, the, the building the temple ends in Ezra chapter 6, and Ezra's Memoir starts in chapter 7. And uh, this is the, the time when Ezra brings order to the Jewish life according to biblical standards. One of the biggest spiritual failures of God's people is forgetting. 
we can forget who God is and the wonders that he has done. Uh, Psalm 78.11 says exactly that. The people forgot what God had done and the wonders he had showed them. And this forgetfulness resulted in a colossal spiritual failure for um, the people of God in the book of Kings, and it can also result in those same failures for us today. So the word of the day that we want to remember is remember. So that's our word, and we want to remember. Um, one of the things I hope I will do as I grow older is to remember. Um, when I was a child, I uh, used to visit my grandmother's sister, Betty. Now, Betty was charming and delightful. She was a really sweet lady. She had always had a smile for me and a kind disposition. Uh, but Betty had dementia, and she couldn't remember recent events very well. And for her, uh, my entire existence was a recent event. And so when I would meet with Betty, the first thing she would say to me every time was, who are you? And she'd look thoughtful and, and uh, she tried to remember and I patiently explained that I was the uh, grandson of her sister Marjorie. And uh, Betty was kind and sweet. I felt bad that she couldn't remember basic facts. Uh, but when my grandmother got a little older, she also developed dementia. And uh, often she would retell her stories. She'd forget what she did the day before. Uh, one day my grandmother was going to go out with a friend and, and uh, my mom asked, well, uh, who are you going out with? What are you going to do? And uh, my grandmother couldn't remember. But she had written down, she had very good organizational skills, and she had written down that she was going out. So she knew the time that she was going out, and, and so she um, did whatever she did. She came back, and my mom asked her, so who'd you go out with? What'd you do? And uh, my grandmother couldn't remember, but she remembered she had a great time and that she had been out and she came back safely. Um, it's hard to lose your memory from old age uh, or for any other reason. Um, and I'm grateful um, that even though my grandmother suffered from dementia, she never forgot who I was. And more importantly, she never forgot who she was. My grandmother was a delightful person. She always had a, a kind smile for me. She always had a, a good word. Uh, she just, she never forgot who she was herself to the end of her days. Um, as we grow older, our bodies and minds may fail. And it's understandable uh, people forget um, who they, you know, different things as they age. But in the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, we have a whole people group who have forgotten who they were. They've forgotten who their God was. Uh, they have a an spiritual amnesia, and Ezra was the person that was chosen to help the people of God remember. So in Ezra 7 through 8, what is being restored is nothing physical. It's not the temple. It's not the, the wall around Jerusalem or anything like that. Uh, it's, it's actually the collective memory of God's people is being restored. So Ezra's activities uh, helped the people to return to life according to biblical standard. Uh, now we're going to take a look at uh, Ezra's commission fulfilled in chapters 7 and 8 and then draw some conclusions for our own lives. Uh, so Ezra's memoirs. Now one of the interesting things is, is we start with uh, Ezra um, 
chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 10, uh, is this genealogy. And of course, we all love genealogy. We love to read that all day long. Uh, and, the, and the names are kind of difficult too. Uh, and if we were to examine that section of genealogy, we might, we might recognize some names. Uh, Zadok was the priest under King David and later uh, the, appointed the high priest under King Solomon. Uh, Sariah was the high priest under Zedekiah that was killed by Nebuchadnezzar 129 years before Ezra's arrival, but neither of those are the point of this genealogy. Here's the point. Ezra is a direct descendant of Aaron through his son, Eliezer. So the point of this genealogy is that Ezra is qualified to lead these people spiritually. He's qualified according to um, the Mosaic law to help reestablish the Mosaic, Mosaic law in the life of the people. Um, and he's qualified to help reestablish or help purify temple worship. Uh, so that's what the genealogy says. Uh, he's qualified for the mission he's about to accomplish according to Scripture. But then uh, we learn that vocationally, Ezra is also qualified uh, for what he's about to do. He didn't just have the right pedigree. Um, he was actually a scribe by profession. He was a teacher. Uh, the word scribe sometimes is what a rabbi is in the New Testament, although those terms get loosely connected. But uh, it means that he was a student of the law, and he was also a teacher of the law. And so Ezra, uh, by profession, was also qualified for what he was about to do. And then politically, Ezra had the favor of King Artaxerxes, the most powerful person in the land. Uh, Ezra 7.7 7 tells us that the king granted Ezra whatever he asked. Why? Uh, Ezra 7.7 7 says, For the hand of the Lord his God was on him, so Ezra also had the favor of God Almighty. Sounds like a pretty qualified person. Um, would you follow a leader like that? One who's biblically qualified? who understands scripture well, has the, the favor of the political authorities? What if that leader had a heart for God and the favor of God? So this is Ezra. This is who this leader was. Uh, scripture takes the time to help us understand the character of the one called to this work, and so people followed Ezra as, as they returned to Jerusalem. Um, so let's take just a second and consider the implications of this for Christian leadership. Uh, what does this say to us in regard to Christian leadership? Um, this question, uh, this is a question that we might ask any spiritual leader, are you qualified? Uh, does God say that you're qualified to give me spiritual advice? How do I know? And, uh, and so, uh, with this example of Ezra, we have biblical qualifications. We have a person that's actively seeking the heart of God, a person who loves the Word of God, a person who is uh, seeking to help others to understand it as well. And so these are some of the biblical uh, qualifications that we have for Christian leaders as well. Now, and uh, why this is uh, extremely relevant for us right now is in uh, uh, September, we'll be uh, 
looking for uh, additional elders for LifeSpring Community Church. So we'll be uh, learning from the pastoral epistles, that's First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, uh, along with uh, Peter, uh, some of the qualifications uh, for Christian leaders. It's important that we as a congregation understand that because of the way that LifeSpring is organized, because the people help to choose the leader, and the leader should meet basic biblical qualifications. All right, well, let's take a look at Ezra's commission here. Uh, it's interesting that Ezra's commission comes from Artaxerxes. You kind of think, well, shouldn't Ezra get his commission from some really spiritually deep person? But he gets his commission from King Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. It just doesn't, doesn't feel right. Uh, but one of the consistent themes in the book of Ezra is that God can move the heart of kings. Whether they are worshipers of the one true God or not. God can move the heart of kings, and he does for King Artaxerxes, just as he had done for Cyrus um, six chapters and many decades ago. Uh, it's important to remember that the events uh, that take place in chapters 7 and 8 are decades later than the original return of Zerubbabel and, um, under Cyrus. And so what did God move the heart of Artaxerxes to do? If God was moving his heart, what did he call him to do? So in Ezra 7.13, we learn that the king commanded Ezra to bring people with him, especially priests and Levites. Go find the priests and Levites and bring them. Uh, So the king commands Ezra to reestablish right worship, including the practice of law and the sacrificial system. Um, A great deal of money was given to Ezra in order to fulfill uh, and accomplish that task. Much of the wealth was in the form of silver and gold. Silver and gold are very heavy, and we're talking about tons of material here, and so somehow that had to be transported a long distance to Jerusalem. That becomes an issue later. The king also warned Ezra that those in charge should not overly burden those who are serving the Lord vocationally. In other words, don't tax the Levites and the workers in the temple. Uh, Don't don't put a, a financial burden on those who are serving help them because they're doing the Lord's work. Um, And then finally, the king charged Ezra with appointing godly justices and magistrates, and people would be required to follow the rules of those justices. So if we summarize this letter, we might say that Ezra is charged with bringing people and resources in order to reestablish right worship in the house of the Lord and justice to the people. So the summary in Ezra 7.27 is, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who put such a thing as this into the heart of the king to beautify the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. So there's this letter from King Artaxerxes, and that's what Ezra says at the end of it. You know, blessed be Lord God of the fathers, who put such a thing in the heart of the king to beautify. Now, the word beautify shows up in the ESV, but in the NIV, it's honor. And the Holman, I believe it's glorify. And this word, the original word, has all of these connotations. What God had put in the heart of the king was a desire to glorify and honor and beautify the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. And that's what Ezra is so excited about. You know, if there's something that's on God's heart like that, that God would want his house beautified and honored and glorified, I believe that that same thought should be on our hearts as well. 
Uh, but none of us go to the temple in Jerusalem. In fact, if we went there today, there's only one wall still standing, the Wailing Wall there. Um, but uh, the temple is no longer a presence. And, and in fact, it's been outmoded according to the New Testament. Where's the temple? It's, it's us. Yeah, we are the temple of God according to the New Testament. And so if we are the temple and God wants his temple beautified and honored and glorified, what does that look like? What activities might we do differently? What ways of thinking might we do differently? How would we use the mouth that God gave us to worship and praise him differently? Might that not stop us from talking about others in a negative way? Might that not stop us from doing any activity that we, we feel would be dishonoring to the Lord because we are God's temple, his spirit abides in us? It's a really fantastic thought that we are meant to be holy like God's temple, and we are meant to be beautified spiritually like God's temple was during this time. So we, what happened? How did this all work out? How does the commission get, uh, Ezra's commission get uh, fulfilled? Uh, well, God called Ezra. Uh, God worked on the heart of Xerxes. And then Ezra 7.28, uh, quoting Ezra, I took courage, says Ezra, uh, for the hand of the Lord my God was on me. I gathered leading men from Israel to go up with me. And then we have another genealogical section from uh, Ezra uh, chapter 8, verses 1 through 15. And usually these sections have a point to them. When you get to the end of a long genealogical section, there is generally some sort of a summary or a point. There's a reason why that's there. It's not just there uh, for no reason. And so uh, at the end of the section, uh, Ezra is camped out by the uh, Ahava. He's camped out in this section between two caravan routes. And he's there for three days. He's taken, uh, uh, trying to figure out what he's got as far as the, the things that have been given, the people who were there. And he notices something. There's no Levites. There's nobody that can be a priest in the house of God with me. All these people are with me. I've got, you know, perhaps 5,000 people, but none of them are the specific people that were noted in Artaxerxes' letter. None of them are the specific people we really need right now. And so Ezra says, you know what we need to do right now? We need to go find some of these folks. And so he sent people out to go find some Levites, and they did. Uh, so that's the section that said there are about 38, uh, there are about 38 Levites. Um, there are uh, 220 temple servants that, uh, that came. And something that was striking to me in this passage is that the group that Ezra needed the most were conspicuously absent. He didn't have the folks that he needed. Why didn't more come? And, and then as I was thinking about it, I, I thought, you know, this situation really rings true because every time I've been involved in some sort of missionary endeavor, whether it's planting a church or sending someone internationally, it seems like there's something missing. It seems like there's always something that we're super dependent upon God to provide. There's some conspicuous weakness to the whole deal. And we would think, uh, if we're going to go do the Lord's work, why wouldn't God help us to come in strength. I mean, surely God provided the financial resources. He provided other people, um, but there, there's a, a need here. And I think it's so that we'll recognize that we are dependent upon God himself to provide that which is missing. And God provided which, what was missing. 
And uh, so the, the Levites showed up. Um, but then, uh, as they're traveling, uh, or about to set, uh, set up for travel, Ezra thinks, you know, we're sitting ducks here. We have tons of precious material. We have, the, we have the precious articles that belong in the temple. We have all of this wealth with us. We're going to travel uh, with men, women, and children who are not trained for combat. And it's going to be, it's like a four-month journey. How is this going to work out? And the roads aren't like the roads are here. There's lots of banditry. There are people that would set up for ambush. And Ezra thinks, I can't go back to Artaxerxes. See, I, I told him how great our God is. I can't go back to him and say, now we need military escort uh, because our God's not powerful enough to protect us. And so Ezra says, I know it will do. And he tells all the people, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and fast that God will provide for us on this long journey. And then he gives the articles, the precious articles, and trusts them to different people along the way and said, this is yours. This item is holy because it's meant for the Lord's temple. You are responsible for it. And so he sets everything up so that it's a journey they're taking with the Lord. And he's trusting the Lord for protection. He's entrusting people with the things that are for the Lord's temple. And it is a holy journey that is going to take them back to Jerusalem. Uh, the journey probably started out in the, uh, in the spring. Uh, and so um, the crocuses would have been in bloom, as, as Isaiah uh, speaks of. Uh, the, uh, the journey would have been long. And um, Ezra 8.31 said, uh, Then we departed from the river Ahava on the twelfth day, the first month, to go to Jerusalem, the hand of our God was on us. He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes along the way. God provided for them. He provided safety. He provided direction. And he instilled upon the people a sense of holiness because they realized they were terribly dependent upon God. If he didn't come through, they could all be massacred along the way. Isaiah 35, 1 through 4, says that the uh, desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord. The splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear your God will come. So they're having this holy journey. And Ezra said to them uh, in verse 28, you are holy to the Lord, the vessels are holy. The silver and gold are a freewill offering to the Lord, the God of your fathers. Guard them and keep them until you weigh them before the chief priests and the Levites and the head of the father's house, Israel and Jerusalem, within the chamber of the house of the Lord. So in the mission of God uses the resources of God for the purposes of God. And when that entails financial resources, it is also a holy endeavor because those are God's resources. Um, so we ask, well, how did this journey all work out? And uh, Ezra 8.31, the hand of God was on us. He delivered us from the hand of the enemy and from ambushes along the way. God delivered Ezra 
They made it safely. They, they delivered their messages. They went ahead and offered sacrifices as they were prescribed. Uh, they started appointing justices, magistrates. They did all the things that they were supposed to do. And then we get to a section uh, that we'll talk about next week that's kind of odd about uh, turning away foreign wives. But we're going to stop here and just say, what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn from Ezra, Ezra's commission, Ezra's journey, and and, uh, the completion of that mission? And we started out by using the word remember. Remember is a, a funny word because none of the returning Israelites could actually remember the temple or Jerusalem. None of them had been alive back then. Remember, this is decades after the time of Zerubbabel even. And so um, nobody alive had actually seen the temple. Nobody alive had seen Jerusalem. So how could they remember? But they could remember because of what was written in Scripture, because of the promises that had been given by God. That's how they remembered. And what were they remembering? Well, the Israelites had been given promises by God. They'd been given the word of God, written the stone, later in the Torah. They had Psalms, the writings, the prophets. They had lived in the presence of God as they wandered. In the, um, and the, they had the temple of God in their city, uh, and the city of David. They were the people of God, established by the promises of God, and all this was in their written writings. Um, but uh, here's the problem that they had encountered originally, a, a, a terrible forgetfulness. They'd started worshiping other gods. They forgot who their God was. Uh, And as they forgot who their God was, they forgot who they were. Um, If you've ever read the book of Hosea, you'll know that God compared his people to an unfaithful prostitute. Um, Hosea 1.5, they were not loved. Hosea 1.9, they were not his people. Hosea 1.10, though, includes a promise, which he said, in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, They'll be called children of the living God. And so this forgetfulness that turned them into spiritual prostitutes, this forgetfulness that made them lose part of themselves, forgetfulness that ended them in captivity, uh, the, the, the forgetfulness that really destroyed their lives and killed their friends and all those sorts of things was replaced by the word remember. They would remember the good things God had done. They would remember who their God was and they would remember who they are. Even though you have experienced discipline, though you have walked away from the warm love of God the Father, you have a promise that you'll be called children of the living God. Well, here are three important things that we need to remember based upon this passage. First of all, God has made promises to us. God has made promises to us. That was true in Ezra's day, uh, the promise of Isaiah that, that the way would be made straight, that they would return, the promise that they would be called children of God, the promise that, that, that Israel be reestablished. Those promises were there for the Israelites, and then those promises are there for us as well, because uh, the same passage that talks about the, the way being made straight for the captives to return to Jerusalem was also used in the New Testament. That was John the Baptist's mission, to prepare the way for Jesus, who would bring restoration and redemption to us. As Christians, we have promises as well. A promise that we're not standing on our own merit. We're standing on the merit of Christ. 
a promise that no matter what failures we've had in life, that God is sufficient for those promises. A promise that Jesus actually died for our sins, that he took whatever penalty that we're worried about, he took all of that for us so that we can be restored to our God. We have a promise that we will be restored just as the people of God were restored in Ezra. And then the, the second thing, so the first thing we need to remember is that God has made promises to us. We can find them in this book. Um, the second thing we remember, need to remember is the character of God himself. When we lose the character of God himself, we lose uh, who we are. And so in Ezra, we learn that God is holy and majestic. Now, last week, Arthur Cox said, you know, when they started rebuilding the temple under Zerubbabel, some people were shouting for joy. Others were crying and weeping because they knew what the original temple looked like. But what should we be more concerned about, the temple of God or God himself? Maybe our own temple has been diminished, just as the temple of Solomon went to the temple of Jerusalem. Maybe we no longer can do the things we used to be able to do, and it disturbs us. But God himself in us is most important. And it's God's glory and God's holiness that we need to see. And that will help us to understand who we are in him. And then secondly, uh, God is sufficient in the, in the character of God. God is sufficient. He is the one who saves. He's the one who provides what's missing. You're missing Levites? I've got them handled. What else are you missing that I can provide. God is the one that is all sufficient. One of his names is providence. And then God is a missionary God. He brings redemption and restoration. Just as he did in that day, more fully he has done so in Christ. That's why God sent his son to die for our sins so we could be restored to him because he's a missionary God. And then God reveals himself through his word. Uh, Ezra and his friends could not have understood anything that had taken place if God hadn't already had it written down in the word of God so that they could understand who God was and what they were supposed to do at that, at that time. Uh, James warns us that anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently at the perfect law gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. They will be blessed in what they do. In other words, we can't forget uh, who God is according to Scripture, or we forget who we are, just like somebody looking in the mirror forgot what they looked like after they turned away. Um, and then God is the one who hears and answers prayer. Ezra and uh, the people fasted and prayed and God provided. Well, that informs who we are in Christ. I think uh, sometimes uh, when, I'm, when I am in a, not in a good spot, I realize that, um, that I've really lost sight of who God is, his holiness, his goodness, his majesty, how great God is. And so I, I'm a little bit messed up in myself. But if God is holy, he's also called us to be holy. If he's put his spirit in us, he's called us to be holy through his Holy Spirit in our temple, the temple of our body. God um, has made us sufficient. If God is sufficient and he has given his son to us, we are sufficient in Christ. Remember that when you're in the hospital or someone you love is in the hospital or, or there's not enough money for whatever needs to happen next or whatever the, the problem is. 
God is sufficient. He is sufficient for all these things. He's sufficient when our children aren't doing what we want them to, or our parents aren't, or whatever the situation might be. And then we have a missionary God who wants us also to have missionary lives. God has given us the mission of helping people to love him and love each other better. Uh, we hear that mission very clearly in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, where Christ says, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. He promises us that he will be with us. He wants us to teach them everything he's commanded. That's, that's our mission in life. We're uh, ultimately supposed to do those things because we want people to love God and love people well. And we are also, if God has revealed himself in Scripture, that's part of God's char- character as he's a revealing God, we, on the other end, are people of the book. We want to study what God has written and what he has given us to understand him more by. And then we also want to be people of prayer. Now, some of us struggle with prayer, and uh, prayer can be a, a difficult thing. It can, be, uh, it can be a labor sometimes, or can feel like a labor. Um, but let me ask you this. Um, if we truly believe God hears and answers prayer, would we pray, pray more? If we really believe that God listens to us, and that maybe sometimes we need to pray over the course of years, but if we pr- believe that God hears and answers prayers, would we pray differently if we're actually entering the throne room of God? So three things for us to remember. Don't forget um, the promises of God, the character of God, and who God says we are. I think those are things that we can dig into this next week uh, in prayer and the reading of Scripture in our conversations with one another. Who does God say that I am? Please bow your heads with me. Father, we, uh, we are grateful for your word. Uh, we're grateful, Lord, that it is the revealed will of God. Uh, sometimes we take it for granted. People in the past haven't all had Bibles all together like this. Uh, sometimes they've had fragments even in other countries now, it's, it's uh, difficult for people to hear the word of God. But we have it in front of us. Help us to, to treat it as a holy thing. That uh, it is precious. I uh, pray that we would seek your revealed will through your scriptures, Lord. Help us to dig in. And help us to know who you are, Lord. Moses um, said to you, show me your glory. It's all he wanted to see. And uh, in the cleft of the rock, he saw your backside as you passed, and, and he was overwhelmed and, and uh, had great joy. Lord, help us to be like that. Let us say to you, show us your glory. And Lord, um, some of us don't even know who we are, or perhaps we forget from time to time. Lord, help us to know who we are in Christ, and in that sufficiency, to be strong in you, Lord that we would know that you are sufficient for every need, that we would trust in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.